Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. Um, and so we are in the, uh, the letter to the church in Colossae, or the book of Colossians. And so just a quick recap. I'm not going to spend tons of time uh, on a recap, but, but this is a letter from Paul. Paul is one of the greatest missionary pastors that we've ever seen in the history of the church. Um, he's, he wrote most of the New, uh, New Testament. And so Paul, uh, he plants this church in Ephesus. The church grows. People hear the gospel. Uh, and so what we know is this guy named Epaphras hears the gospel in Ephesus. Um, and he's not from Ephesus, though. He's from a place called Colossae. And he goes home with the gospel after, after meeting Jesus and being converted. And he goes home and he, and he starts sharing the gospel. He's sharing the gospel with his friends, his coworkers, his family. And he ends up planting and being the pastor of this church in Colossae. This is a young church. It's in a rural town. Uh, in what, we, what would be modern-day Turkey, um, but back then it was just part of the Roman Empire. Um, and so he, he's, plant, he's planted this church, and it's a young church in a rural town, and what has happened is um, this church has fallen into some heresy. It's starting to, to believe some things that aren't true. And so um, and, and it, although it never explicitly says what that heresy is, we, analyzing Paul's arguments and what he's saying, we can, we can deduce with some Sherlock skills that um, what it is is something that would be called religious syncretism or this idea of, of mixing our religion or our belief system in Christ, mixing it with the things of this world. And so taking culture um, and adding it to our Christianity instead of letting Christianity influence our culture. So they're saying like things like, hey, like I really love Jesus, but my Jewish mystic neighbor, he prays like no one I've ever seen. So I'm going to add some of that in. And, and man, I really like the, what's going on here with the, with the worship of of idols and the way they worship the idols. We don't, we don't worship idols, but the way they do it, I like that. So we're going to bring that in here to Christianity. And, and so they're mixing uh, their faith, their good faith in Christ, with the things of this world and making it a little bit more palatable culturally. Um, so there's some pressure from the outside to do this. Um, and also there's some pressure from within the church to do this. And so Epaphras, kind of, you know, the pastor of this young church and and seeing this going on, he goes to Paul. Paul's in prison, most likely, and goes to Paul and explains to Paul what's going on, asking for help. And so Paul and Timothy, Paul's disciple, uh, pinned this letter to the church in Colossae uh, in response to this heresy. Um, and so, we, so last week, we talked about the gospel uh, primarily, and, and you'll kind of see that's a theme in the Bible. Um, and so we talked about the gospel and, and how that was the foundation for their faith. And Paul was thankful for their faith. He wasn't 
angry or frustrated about what was going on in the church. He was just so thankful for their faith. He was thankful for the faith they had in Christ, the love they had for the saints that was all built around the hope that was laid up for them in heaven. And so Paul's going to continue that. So he, he's, he says, that we always thank God for your faith in Christ. We've heard. And now he's going to pray. He, so that, that's a prayer, thanking God for faith. That's a prayer. I, God, I thank you for the faith of the Colossians. Now Paul's going to continue to explain what his prayers have been, and his prayers begin to change. And so it says in verse 9, and, and so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Like, just stop real quick. Just think about what Paul's saying. Like, we have not stopped praying. From the day we've heard that you have this faith, we have not stopped praying for you. Like, we, we are excited for you. We love you. We're thankful. And we're praying these next things for you nonstop. We're always praying these things. Like, I think prayer is something we don't talk about a lot, something that we know we ought to do, and we know we should pray. We know the disciples asked, Jesus said, hey, uh, teach us to pray. We don't know how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And, and Jesus used words, when you pray, pray like this. He, doesn't, he didn't say, uh, if you pray. He said, when you pray, pray, do not pray like the, ta- like the Pharisees, but pray like this. And so um, there's this expectation in Scripture that we would pray. And I'm not sure there's a better thermometer to our spiritual health than for us to look at our prayer life. Um, and so if we look at our prayer life and, and kind of how our prayer life is and, and how, and, and not how good we pray or how, how much we can stay awake when we're saying our prayers at night, but just like kind of the, the health of our prayer life, what we pray for, that is a good thermometer, a good insight to what our spiritual life or where our spiritual life is. And so Paul says he has not ceased to pray. Him and Timothy, they've not ceased to pray, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk away in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so what's Paul's prayer for them? He, his prayer is a continuation, the thankfulness of the gospel working in their life and bearing fruit in them all, and also in the world. He's praying that they would understand it all the more, that they would have this all, they would have uh, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They're asking that, the, he's asking that the gospel would continue to mature them for maturity. So, so they have this young church, this, this relatively immature church. They're still with a bunch of new Christians. They don't really know a lot of stuff yet. They're kind of just really excited about the Lord and kind of seeing what's going on in culture and mixing it all together. And so Paul's saying like, hey, like we've been praying nonstop since we've heard of you that you would just mature in Christ, that you would gain uh, a knowledge of, of, of his will and all, and all knowledge and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, a manner worthy of Jesus. That's pleasing to him. So Paul's prayer is that they would grow in, in their knowledge of who Christ is, knowledge of the Lord. And that, and that knowledge would lead to what? It would lead to them walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. So Paul is going to lay this idea here, r- really briefly, this idea that knowledge leads to change. That if we have a knowledge of something, knowledge leads to action. That if we know something's true, then, then we don't, we, then that changes us. And so, so for kids, uh, if you have kids and kids like, if they touch a hot stove, they get burned, right? And so they know that stoves are hot and stoves are dangerous. So most kids will stop touching the stove, right? They touch it once. Uh, there's a phrase in, in my in-laws' family is like, oh, they'll only do that once. Like, oh, like, hey, the kid's, the, you know, he's about to put something in the light socket. Oh, he'll only do that once. Like, he'll learn. Uh, and it's a joke. We don't actually just like, you know, give our kids paper clips and let them walk around with uh, open, open uh, outlets. But there is this phrase like, oh, he's about to fall down the steps. Well, he'll only do that once. Like, then he'll be careful from then on. So there's this idea that, 
that even jokingly, we know that knowledge changes us. It produces change in us. So if we have an adult who, um, who continues to touch a stove, he's like, oh, man, that's hot. And the next day, he goes and does it again. Oh, man, that's hot. Like, like something's wrong there, right? Like, he's not learning from what's happening. He's, he's just, um, something's wrong. Like, I don't know. There's some strong language you could use. Like, he's just not a smart guy. Like, he's not learning from his, his mistakes, not learning from what's happening. And so there's this idea, even in our culture today, not forget biblically, that knowledge produces a change. It changes the way we live. And so Paul's going to say here that knowledge leads to action, and action will lead to more knowledge, and that knowledge will lead to more action. And so we heard it explained uh, this week in, in home group that I really loved, like that our, our faith in Christ or our growth in Christ, and I really started to kind of flesh this out in my mind because it wasn't something that I, I said, it's something that someone told us, is like this corkscrew, this spiral, and, and it's totally true, is that, is that you, you, you come to this knowledge of Christ, and that knowledge of Christ leads to this action. You're going to change the way you live. You're going to live for Jesus. And then, and then that inspires you to, to find out more and to learn more knowledge. And then, so you learn this more stuff about Jesus. And, and then that produces even more change in you. And, so, and then you have this new change. And then, and then you want to know more. And so it's this spiral where you're constantly, it's like, it's knowledge and then action and then knowledge and then action and knowledge and action as you become more and more and more like Jesus. As you walk more and more and more in a way that's worthy of the Lord. It's this spiral. But it takes some action on our part. It takes us getting that knowledge because like, we don't drift towards knowledge of God, of God and obedience. Our default position is disobedience. Our default position is to not seek out the Lord. We don't do this on purpose. We drift towards disobedience. And so it takes us in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a choice for us to, to, to really get to know, to know Christ. And how do we do that? And I think the first thing, or the, really the, the big thing we can talk about here is it just takes time. It takes time with the Lord. I think, man, in our culture and, and, and Christianity, we're really quick to say, hey, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about a transaction with God. It's about a relationship with Jesus. We, we're quick to say that, but most of us don't live like it's an actual relationship. We, we, we know, it, hey, it's not religion. It's relationship, but then we act in our lives like it is a religion. Like, if I do this, then God will do this. And, and if God doesn't do the things that I think he should do, then I'm going to pull back too, and I'm not going to do the stuff that he wants me to do. And so, so we, we, we say with our mouth, man, it's not, it's a relationship, but like, how do we build a relationship with people? We spend time with them. Like, I couldn't say that me and my wife have this great relationship if I never spent any time with her, if we were always apart, if we were always separate, we never talked, we never got to know one another, I never learned anything about her. Like, we, we couldn't say that we have this relationship. Our marriage would simply be a transaction. And so our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus is not built on a transaction where, hey, we pray this prayer and then Jesus has to save us and now it's, it's done. And if I read my Bible and pray, then he'll have to bless me and do these things and, and I'll get what I want. He gets what he wants. He gets praise and prayers and, and Bible reading and I get what I want. Like that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is this relationship with God and that relationship takes time. It's not a contract. A contract is something where, if, hey, if you do this, then I do this. And we all have contracts. Sometimes we don't read them. Um, but like every time you like get online and you accept terms and conditions or you uh, sign up for a cell phone bill or internet bill, you sign a contract and you say, hey, um, I'm going to pay X amount of money and you're going to provide me with power, you know, every day of the month. And, and that's a contract. And if I don't pay you money, then you have the right to, within the law, there's some laws that, you know, how, how long it can be, but you have the right to cut my power off. And if you don't give me power, like if there's, you know, some crazy outages this month, then I get a credit on my bill because I paid for a whole month. 
So there, there's some stuff, but that's not really with power, because power is based on usage, but that's with cell phones. If, I, if, if there's a huge cell phone out, outage and I don't have my cell phone service like I should have for a period of time, then I get a credit on my bill because you didn't provide your part of the contract. Our relationship with God is not contractual. And our relationship with the saints is not contractual with each other. It's not, hey, man, if, if the church does this, then I'll do this. If my elders do this, then I'll do this. If my, if my brothers and sisters in Christ, if they love me, then I can love them back. Or if they care for me, then I'll care for them. God doesn't call us to transactions or contracts. He calls us into a covenant with him. A covenant that says, I'm yours and you're mine and I will be yours. I will be your people. I will be a part of your people and you will be my God. And that's a covenant. And you spend time with the Lord. You spend time with him. And how do you spend time with the Lord? Time is, is worship in both private and public. So we talk about prayer. We talked about prayer. And, and I think some of us just don't know how to pray or what to pray for. Or what. And, and so if that's you, man, I would just encourage you to get into, into home groups. Um, home groups is a great time where we, we, we pray. And if you want to learn to pray, and we, we pray at home groups and everyone prays. Um, you can skip if you want to, but we encourage everyone to come around. We go in a circle and we just pray for one another. Uh, right now we're going through our study guide in Colossians. If you don't have one, it's over here on the bar. You can grab one after church. We have a study guide we're going through. Um, and it has little prayer points, like little, hey, like, let's pray for this this week. Let's pray for this this week. And this next week we're going to pray for something different and we're going to pray for one another. And so, man, if you need some help just figuring out how to pray or what to pray for, you can grab one of these study guides. You can come to home group and learn from people who know how to pray. The other thing we can do is we can spend time in his word. We can spend time in the Bible. So this, this book is an incredible book. It's, it's actually 66 books put into one book, and it tells one, just one overarching story. It tells one story of God coming to save, creating everything, and it was good, and then, and then we, me messing it up, and then God coming to save it and to, and to bring his kingdom into this earth. And it's one story. I heard this week that, you know, this Bible is, is our insight to life. And that's just not what this Bible is. This Bible is, the, the book, the Bible is not insights to life. It's not a road map to life. Now, I've heard it said, you know, we got to give people credit. There are some maps in the back on some of your Bibles. So I get why some people might say that. But it's not a road map to your life. What it is, it's a book revealing who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done. It's a book about Jesus. And so if you want to get to know this person, Jesus, you want to spend time and, and to build this relationship with Jesus, you have this book who tells you everything you need to know about this man, Christ, this God, Jesus, this king. It tells you everything that you need to know for him. Like, just think about this, men. You'll get this, men. Like, imagine you had a book, if you're married, that told you everything you need to know about your wife, like what she likes, what she doesn't like how she wants you to, like, act at home, like, things that'll please her. Like, you had this book that told you all these things. Like, wouldn't you just get into that book? Like, you would, I feel like you'd have to love that book. It'd be a really good book to have. I wish, I wish that existed, but it doesn't. But we do have this for God. We can get into this book. And so in my time here in the South, I'm not from here. I'm from California. And I heard of this thing. Um, and so this could get me into trouble. So I'm thankful you guys are here. Um, I heard of this thing out in California called KJV onlyism. Okay, um, and so what this is—if you've never heard of it—which would, would be surprising—but is that the, is that the King James Bible is the only inspired Bible that we have today in English. It is the—it's not just an ins, the, the, the Word of God isn't only inspired; that the KJV is inspired. The actual translation of the Bible is inspired, and it's the only translation we should use. And so, I heard that existed. 
I thought it was kind of as crazy and poppycock, and so I move here, and, it, and it's real. It's this real thing, and, and so, um, I, hey, look, the KJV is actually a good translation. It comes from, it, it's just written in a really old language, um, specifically, if you want to go back all the way to what they would call the 1611 version, um, there's like misspellings and stuff, which kind of make me feel like maybe it's not inspired, but um, so, so you have this old version of the Bible, it's old English, and it's just hard to understand. So what's happened is I ha- I've had people come up to me and be like, hey, Zach, I'm having a really hard time understanding my Bible. And I'm like, oh, well, like, hey, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, you know, like what's in his word, and pray, and then read, and then pray, and then read, and then pray. And then three weeks later, kind of be like, you know what, hey, like, I still don't understand a thing I'm reading. But okay, well, show me a passage you've read, and let's talk about it. And they pull out their Bible, and it's a KJV Bible, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, like, I didn't know that was the Bible you were reading. Like, if I would have known that, we could have just got you a different Bible. Um, and it's nothing's wrong with the KJV. It's just not easy for us to read. We'd have to, like, continue to look up things. And it's, but it's a good translation. But there are other incredible translations. We here at The Grove, we use the ESV, the English Standard Version. It's the version I preach from. It's what's up on here. It's the one that's underneath your, your chairs. It's the ESV. It's an incredible translation. I would say the ESV is a lot better than the KJV when it comes to the Hebrew, the Old Testament, and it's, it's really similar when it comes to the New Testament. Um, it's a really incredible translation. I would encourage, and so he, here's what we're instituting today, um, and this is where I might get in trouble, is I've heard of these things. Uh, we're going to institute a KJV trade-in program. Um, so if you have a KJV Bible, and you have a hard time reading it, and, and, and you, want, you can keep it. You don't actually have to trade it in, but just come, show it to me, tell me you don't understand what you're reading, and I, the church will get you a nice ESV Bible. We'll ship it to your house. You can have it, our gift to you. I want you guys to have a Bible that you can understand, a Bible that you can read, a Bible that you can love, that you can hear from the Lord in. I don't believe the KJV is an inspired translation. I don't believe the ESV is an inspired translation. I believe it's an English translation of the inspired word of God that was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Some of it was in Persian. This is the word of God. It was written a long time ago, and we have translations of it. We can trust what we have, though. We talked about this last Easter. It was a weird Easter sermon, but it's where we were. We preached verse by verse through the Bible primarily. We talked about the Bible and translations and how we can trust the word because we got to the end of Mark. And man, like, you can trust the, what you have in your hand. You can trust the KJV. My concern is you just don't understand it. And so if you have a KJV, it's the, it's the, the Grove Church KJV trade-in program. Um, you bring it to me, show it to me, say you can't understand it, we'll ship you an ESV, you can have it, um, and it can be yours. And so, I, I, and this isn't just to be funny, although I think it is funny naming it the trade-in program, um, but I really want you guys to like be in this word. And my concern is, after being here for a couple years, is that people just, they, they, they think that this is the Bible, it's the only translation, and they get stuck in this religion of this is what pleases God, this is what's inspired from God, and they never understand their Bible. They try and keep up while I'm reading up here. They have no idea where I am. They have no idea where we are in the, in the Word. They go home, and they just can't read it, and so they get frustrated and give up. And so, so that's what we're doing. So if you have one, you want a, a, a new one, come to me. If you like yours, God bless you. You keep it, and you read it and enjoy it. Again, nothing's wrong with it. All right, so we're going to continue on. Um, so, so it continues on. Paul keeps praying that all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit of every good work. And so Paul talks about this word fruit. It's actually the second time Paul brings up this word fruit um, here in Scripture. And so I want to kind of define this word fruit. 
Paul talks about fruit a lot. Um, I talk about tacos a lot. I think it's similar. But uh, it's not. It's just not even close. Paul talks about fruit. So Galatians 5.22, Paul's going to give us some ideas of what some of this fruit is that we bear. So this passage is about the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul says, but the, but the fruit in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul's going to tell us these fruit man's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. There's all these things that the gospel will bear fruit. As we mature in Christ, we begin to exhibit these characteristics, these fruit, this fruit. We begin to bear this fruit. The gospel is what brings this out in us. The gospel is the foundation. The hope that we have laid up for us in heaven is the foundation for this fruit. So we think, so think about joy. Man, like, we seek out joy in our life. I think as humans, we are just, and I think in a good way, we're wired to desire joy, desire joy, happiness, to just enjoy life. Uh, I believe we were designed to enjoy God, and so through the gospel, we can enjoy life. Man, like, like, the, like the idea that your sins were forgiven, that, that you've been brought out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, like, that should bring you joy. If, if, if the mercies of God... Like, you know who you are. You know the thoughts that you have. You know the sin that's in your heart. Like, like if we were to somehow, and I've said this before, if we were to somehow get the technology from Apple that, like, could take your thoughts and put them on the projector and, and throw them on the screen, like, would anyone want to be in the room while we watch your thoughts? No, like, you, so you know you, and then you see the word of God says, but Christ loved you anyway. Like, if that, if the mercies of God, despite who you are, does not bring you joy, I'm not sure anything will. If the mercies, if the forgiveness of your sins, your thoughts, the deepest, darkest parts of your God, they're known by God, yet he died for you anyway, if that doesn't bring you joy, then no job's going to bring you joy, no car, no oil that's essential, no amount of money, no, no anything's ever going to bring you joy if the mercies of God doesn't. Nothing will. There's nothing that you could bring into your life if that doesn't bring you joy, peace, like nothing else will bring you peace if you don't understand, if, if the idea that you're, you're, you're reconciled to God, that you have peace with God, that he's not warring against you, he's not angry with you anymore in Christ, that he loves you, that he calls you son, that he calls you daughter, if that doesn't bring you peace in your heart, I don't know what will. No amount of money in the bank account, no, no amount of security with your retirement is ever going to bring you peace if the fact that God takes care of his children doesn't bring you peace. See, the gospel brings forth these fruit. We can go through all of them. We don't have time. Patience, kindness. Man, if the kindness of God doesn't bring kindness out in you, no self-help book or no counseling or therapist is ever going to make you kinder if the kindness of God doesn't begin to spring that from you. Goodness, faithfulness. It's the faithfulness of God throughout all of Scripture, making a promise in Genesis 3 and carrying that out in the New Testament. If that doesn't produce a faithfulness in you, nothing will. Like the gospel bears this fruit. And why does it bear this fruit? For power and strength, it says. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's this circular, so he begins with the knowledge of God, be filled with the knowledge of God, and he ends increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's this circular, it's this spiral thing we talked about. And then he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patient with, patience with joy. So why does he want them to have power and strength? For endurance. Well, what do you need endurance for? For this life that we're living. 
and this life is exhausting. We go through trials. We, we, when we suffer, and, 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 and coming to Christ, being a Christian, does not absolve you from suffering. In fact, I, I wonder, and I see in, 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 the New, in the New Testament, that it almost guarantees you you're going to suffer. You get to share in the sufferings of Christ that you may know him and you may know the power of his resurrection, Paul would say. And so, man, we suffer as Christians. We suffer not just because we're Christians, although I think we do. We, we just suffer because of this life, because we live in this broken world. We have things like infertility and miscarriages. We have things like divorce and separation. We have things like drugs and abuse. Like we have these things that we are going to suffer. And so Paul says, I pray that you'd have power and strength through his glorious might, that you may have endurance with joy. It may suffer well. That you may know that, man, that, that God has called you to this and called you through this, and he's going to be there with you. He's not going to take it away, necessarily, but he's going to be there through it and with it. And so when we went through Mark, we get to this, see, Mar- see Mark was a, a really, we were in Mark for like a year and a half, maybe two years. I don't even remember. Um, we're done with Mark. Um, but we're, I want to go back to one part. So there's a story in Mark. So he, here's what happened. We had um, a couple in our church who had their second or third miscarriage. Third? The third miscarriage. Um, they had a stillborn child and then two miscarriages, and it was just devastating. So the Sunday after their, their, their third pregnancy ended, their, 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 their miscarriage, we're in Mark, and um, we're talking about uh, the boys, the disciples, going into a storm. And, and, and going through some sufferings and trials in their life. And I don't know if I would have had the courage to preach that message because I felt like they thought I would just be talking to them the entire time. But because we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible primarily, that's where we ended up being. And so I have this couple sitting, they're actually family, sitting down in the front row, just broken from that week, from, that, from the past couple years of infertility issues. And here I am preaching about trials and suffering and, and how to have joy in those things. Um, but... It was such an amazing passage because what it is, it's the passage where, where Jesus tells them to go. He says, go across the lake, I'll meet you on the other side. And so they're going, they're in the middle of this lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and they're, and they're rowing and they're rowing. And it's like eight hours, they're just rowing in the storm, they're going nowhere. The Sea of Galilee is not this big of a lake. I know something we, think, we call it a sea, like it, it is a sea, but it's, it's like this huge lake. Like you can stand on one side and if the, if the morning's clear, you can see the other side. Like it's not this huge sea. It's not like the Mediterranean Sea. And so it shouldn't take, like, an incredible amount of time to go through it. But because it's in this valley, um, it has all sorts of storms all the time. And so Jesus, you know, the, the, so they're in this storm for eight hours, and Jesus comes and walks on water and shows him, them his glory in the middle of that suffering. And so you, you, sometimes we think about why do we go through suffering? Why do we go through trials? Why do we go through tribulation? Why do these things happen to people, to Christians? Well, I could tell you why that happened to those disciples, because Jesus told them to go. Like Jesus, it wasn't Jesus told them to go and they were disobedient and they went the wrong way and ended up in a storm. They did exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ told them to do and ended up in a storm. But without that storm, like they would have never seen Jesus walk on water. They never would have seen the glory of God pass by. And they can trust in Jesus. They saw the power of Jesus. They can trust in that. From that moment on, now they still, sometimes they don't trust in it. But from that moment on, they have this moment to go back to of, man, God, in the middle of this, this horrible storm, when we thought we might die, Jesus showed up. 
and he protected us. He calmed the storm. He showed up, and he was our rock. He was our salvation. So in our suffering, in our storms, we have that to call out to, that, man, Jesus is there for us, and, he, and through those sufferings, we become more like Christ, that we build up patience and, and hope, and, and, and we have endurance through the gospel, that if God is good enough to give us his only son, despite who we are, he can get us through any of these things. It may not end up the way we want it to, but somehow it's for our good. So endurance. So endurance is for trials and patience. Patience is primarily for people. Sometimes we need patience when we have this love for the saints. Sometimes there's just people who just really bug us. And they get on our nerves. And so I heard it said, and I, I used, I'm going to use this quote, is that there's some people who are just like the human form of crumbs in your bed. Right? So, like, you think about crumbs in your bed. Like, that's just this awful, annoying, uncomfortable thing. And some people are just a human form of that. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know anyone like that, you're that person to the people around you then. <laughs> and I'm sorry to say, like, that's just the way it is. And so we need patience. We need patience. And so, man, the, the strength and power that comes from God can give us patience. And, and really, again, this comes back to the gospel. Like, if you only had a right understanding of who you are, you would have so much more patience for the people around you because you'd understand the patience and long-suffering that Christ had for you to get you to where you think you are today and how you think you're not as annoying as people around you. You're, you were, at some point, you were definitely that annoying, and you might even still be and just don't see it. Like, we can have patience for the brothers and sisters in Christ. We can have patience for those around us. And again, the motivation behind all of this, and we'll end here, the motivation behind all of this is the gospel. Verse 12, giving you, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All of this, again, he comes back to this idea that the Father has qualified us. We are not qualified to, for the inheritance. We are not sons. We are not daughters of God. But God has made us those things in Christ. He's qualified us. He's taken us from a kingdom of darkness in which we've lived our whole life. And he's transferred us. He's changed our permanent address into a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of light. And because of those things, these are all past tense things. He's transferred us. He's not transferring us. He's transferred us. He's not redeeming us. He's redeemed us. He's not just forgiving our sins. He's forgiving. He's forgiven our sins. He's not qualifying us to share in the inheritance. He's qualified us. These are these things that have are. If you are in Christ, these things have already been done. You don't have to try and get yourself qualified or try and move yourself from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. That's already happened if you're in Christ. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, these things are true of you. You don't have to make them true. You don't have to work to try and get yourself to this kingdom of light. You don't have to work to try and get yourself into the inheritance. These things are just true. They're just gospel truths. And they're the foundation for all these things that Paul are, that Paul's about to say. He's the, it's the foundation for all the things that he has said. It's why Paul keeps coming back to this circular thing. First of all, like, so verses 9 through 14 in the original Greek is just one really long run-on sentence. It's like one of the longest sentences I think I've ever read. There are a couple longer ones in the Bible. Usually they're all written by Paul. Um, I don't, he didn't have the best grammar skills. But 
he writes this one sentence. And so this is all one thought for him. It's not all these like, you know, sprinkled in different thoughts and then I will add the gospel at the end. This is all one thought for Paul. That giving thanks to God for qualifying you, that you may share in the inheritance, that he's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, that he has redeemed you and given you the forgiveness of sins. You can have power, you can have strength, you can endure, you can have patience, you can have knowledge, and that knowledge can lead to action, and that action can lead to more knowledge, and more action, and more knowledge, and become more, and more, and more like Christ. And that is the Christian life, that the gospel would empower us and motivate us to become more, and more, and more like Christ. And so again, the gospel is not the doorway into Christianity, it is the pathway of Christianity. We never leave the gospel, we never get deeper than the gospel, we just go deeper into the gospel. Jesus has come, he's, he's, he's transferred us out of that ki- a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of life. And so as we close, I just want to chat about a couple things. And so as you see these prayers that Paul's asking for the people of Colossae, that they would grow in knowledge and in power and strength and patience and endurance, what, which one of those prayers really just resonates with you if you're a Christian here today, which one of those prayers, like if you could just pick one that you really want to see God develop in you more over the next month, two months, next year, like what would you pick? Like what would, like what is coming to you that you, I need more patience. I need, I just need more knowledge. I don't know much about Christ in the Bible. Like I just need more knowledge. Like what is that one thing for you? And here's what I would ask is that you would just step out and start pursuing that thing. It takes this pursuit. You're not going to drift towards the knowledge of Christ. You're not going to drift towards patience. You're not going to drift towards strength and endurance. You're going to run from those things in your default state. So which one of those things do you want to see God develop in you? And would you just take a step of faith and begin to pursue those things? Whether it's through home groups or Bible study or whatever it is, is finding a mentor, finding someone to disciple you and to pour into you. What, what's something that you can do to pursue these things in Christ? And not, to, not so that you'd be qualified, Not so that you'd be transferred out of one kingdom into another, because that's already happened. So because those things have happened for you today, Christian, which one would you pursue? And would you just please pursue it? And let that pursuit continue. And never, ever be a means in which to try and gain God's favor, but it would be a response to God's favor that's already been placed on you in Christ. And so as we transition now, we'll transition to um, the table and communion. So if, if you're a Christian here today, man, this is an opportunity to just come be thankful for those things, to be thankful that God has qualified you, that he's transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, that he's redeemed you and given you forgiveness of sins, so you come and you partake and you, you eat the bread and you drink the wine or the grape juice, and so man, I just pray that that, that would be a time of celebration for you, and so uh, as we sing and we stand and we sing, you can, you can come forward if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, and you can partake and go back to your seat and privately enjoy and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, if you're not a Christian today, if you would just, you know, just, you could just stay where you are. Um, there's no reason for you to come up and, 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 and uh, partake in the symbolism that, that, you know, you don't believe in. Um, it's not to single you out. No one's going to judge you or just be like, hey, how come that person didn't take communion? Um, it's just not for you. And so you could just stay where you're seated. You can sing. You can enjoy the songs. Um, but, but this is for the Christians. So, man, just come. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower, just enjoy that. Um, and as we sing, just celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done. Um, and then this week, be prayerful through home group, through your personal time uh, of where you should be pursuing Christ here. And so I'll pray for us. 
um, and then we'll, we'll sing. Father, I just, I just thank you so much for this, this book, Lord, as we just read the words, this, this, this one sentence from Paul, Lord, that it's packed with so much for us, Lord, here today. Um, and so, God, I pray that as we uh, respond to your word and, and celebration and, and, and in song, that we would um, really just, just consider all that you have for us, Lord. Consider where we might pursue you more, whether that's knowledge, wisdom, whether that is um, uh, patience or strength, Lord. Whatever that may be, Lord, that we may um, endurance, Lord, that we may pursue that thing, where we may uh, intentionally chase after that by finding people who can help us or entering into community through home group or through personal Bible study or getting some help, Lord, on how to, how to read the Bible or whatever that may be for us, would you just, just really lay that on our hearts so we may feel that and feel impressed to go that direction, Lord, and not, not default into, into laziness or default into, um, uh, you know, short temper and, and a lack of love. We would, we, would, we would pursue the things, pursue the fruit of the Spirit, God. Lord, so I pray that you would just remind us all this week of the gospel as we, as we go through our lives and as we feel the heaviness of our life, Lord, as we feel accusations from other people or from the enemy, Lord, that you just remind us of who we are in Christ, Lord. And if there's anyone here today who's not a Christian, not a believer, Lord, that I pray that you would just call them to you, God, that you would call them through your word, that you would call them um, into a relationship with you, not a transaction, Lord, but a relationship with you, Father. Lord, I'm thankful for all that you're doing. I love you, and I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.